Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. There are many stories of the Bible. This one of the New Testament is um, somewhat common. However, I do want to read it because it's not... not um, it's not as common as some other passages of Scripture that you might know by heart or know the story well. But I'm going to read a bit of this story, and then we'll, and then we'll uh, preach the message. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. And prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently, uh, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa. And call from one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on them continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open in a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten of anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou uncommon. This is done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. And when Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry of Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon was named Peter, were lodged there. And Peter thought on the vision. The Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a man, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then he called them in and lodged them and on the morrow Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied them. Heavenly Father for this passage we're grateful 
it seems to be somewhat of a common passage to us, but Father, the, the amazing thing that happened in this passage of Scripture is the very beginning for the Gentile people like us to have the gate open wide to salvation. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Cornelius was a centurion. A centurion had about 600 men under him, would have been the size of his group. Uh, um, for some reason in the scripture, and I don't know why, but the centurion, we have several stories in the Bible that for some reason the centurion always seems to be a good guy. We have one at the cross. It says something like, surely this was the son of God. We have the, the centurion that came to Christ, that Jesus Christ said of him, oh, I haven't seen such great faith, no, not in all of Israel. Just speak the word, he said, and my, and my, my servant shall be healed, a centurion. So we see the centurion, and I, I don't know why particularly God chose it, but generally it's something favorable with centurion, as was this man Cornelius. A favorable, the Bible says, a, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house. He obviously is a Gentile man. The significance of this man is he is the first among us of Gentiles and the one that God used to send Peter to that opened wide the gates. We always think of the Apostle Paul in relationship to the Gentile people. But this man Cornelius was the man that Peter was sent to, which was very significant later on as Paul came to Jerusalem later and Peter testified of the fact that the Gentiles like the Jews, the gate was wide open for salvation. And so we see this man Cornelius, a man that was a devout man, but he was a Gentile man. And so the, the, the gates of salvation had not been opened to the Gentile world yet. I was reading of this story, just um, was looking for a message for Sunday morning and just reading. And so when I read this story of Cornelius, I thought I've never, never preached a message about Cornelius before. Cornelius, though, in this passage, gives you like an instant outline which makes it very palatable to the pastor. Look at verse number two. We'll go through them in a moment. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. What a great testimony of this man. The Bible says of him that he was a devout man. He was deeply dedicated to a belief or a cause would be the definition of devout, deeply dedicated to a belief or a cause. What a great definition. Deeply devoted. There's many areas of life that people are perhaps dedicated, but this was a man that was deeply devoted to God, so much that God saw this man, a Gentile, and sent an angel to bring him to Christ and of course go fetch Peter and Peter had a had a dream as well and so the two have come together and so we have this man in his house that are the what we have is our first Gentiles that have come to the Lord Jesus Christ that that opened the gate for all of us to follow and what a man that God chose to be the one that would open that door is a man that was such a devoted man to God there's many devoted people in the world we have people that have dedicated and devoted their life to medicine and caring for people. And I personally have a, a great love for those people. They have 
um, sacrificed much time and effort uh, when our son nearly drowned for those many years, just dedicated people. And, and I, people would often say they don't like to go to hospitals. We were in hospitals for so many months, and I became so appreciative of the people that were constantly doing their very best. And that's what happens when we see devoted people. They give their very best to try to help others. And we see it much when, we, when we're in the medical field. Not only that, we have dedicated people to medicine, but we have men that have given their lives to the armed forces that have gone, gone in and, and faced battles and have been willing to lay down their lives. And I think it was last week I mentioned about 1.2 million men have lost their lives. And what have they, what have they done? They're dedicated to the country. So many men still volunteer and are in our armed services because there are men that are dedicated, devoted, protecting the citizens of the United States of America. Dedicated policemen get up and go to work every day, willing to lay down their lives for the Americans that are in their jurisdiction and under their authority of law as the police. But they dedicate their devoted men that are dedicating so much so they're willing to lay down their lives. Many men and women perhaps in, in, in law and in the, in the armed forces, but also we have uh, the firemen that so much put themselves, firemen and fire ladies that put themselves at risk and put their lives on the line to try to save people and save homes. We would call them devout, dedicated people to what they do. I believe we look into the Christian world and I, I see Donovan and if I don't see Helen today, that, that, that means she just can't get here. What are they dedicated people, devout people that are committed to getting to church many, many years? I don't know exactly how old Brother Donovan is, but it's, it's 90 plus and still finding a way to come to church. He's devoted. We have bus workers that are devoted here on early on Sunday mornings to get their buses. We have devoted Sunday school teachers studying for their lessons and teaching children and teens and adults because they're devoted to the cause of Christ. We have nursery workers. God bless them. Thank you, ladies, for doing that. That are devoted to making sure the services run smoothly because they're in the nursery watching the children. Devoted people. We have so many devoted Christians here. We have our assistant pastors devoting their lives, young men, to the Lord Jesus Christ's work for all of their days. Devotion that are given from people to trust Christ. Cornelius was a devout man, the Bible says of him. He was devoted. He believed in God so much, for that, so, much so that his household followed him in that endeavor. He was so in tune with God. I believe Wilbur Collins is a devoted Christian man. He's, uh, he took a fall yesterday. He called me this morning, said he wouldn't, wouldn't make it to church today, and he's headed for urgent care to get checked out and see if he's okay. Devoted man. I've gone soloing with, with him so many times, and uh, I don't know, he was, I don't know why, I think he's 81 or something, 82 but still does everything he can to get the soul winning and goes out there and tells people about Jesus Christ. Devoted. A lot of people can have excuses, but then there's people 
that in spite of the pain, the suffering, and all it takes to sometimes make things happen in their Sunday school classes and all the things that they do, bus workers and older folks that struggle, they're devoted to get to church and to fulfill their work for Christ, a devoted people. Are you devoted this morning? Are you a devoted person? Would you think of your Christian life? Would you think of how you live your life? And would you ask yourself the question, am I one of those people that's devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? The second thing that I see in this man in the scriptures here, it says, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Once again, that word and that fear, the fear of God has crossed my path and it crosses it often in the scriptures. And I speak of it, I feel like relatively often about the fear of God. It's such an important for, thing for us to understand that this man feared God with all his house. We think of fear, we think of, you know, uh, being afraid of, you know, whatever, whatever it is we might have fears of. But when we think of the fear of God, it's, it, is, it is indeed a fear, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a respect for God. And wh why would it be fear? Because he's God Almighty. He controls everything. And so there's, there's something that I would call a very healthy fear of God. And, and I will tell you, Christians, don't back off because of the word fear. Like, well, I don't want it's not right to think I'm afraid of God. If you're a little over in that department, you'll be okay. Now, if you lose your fear of God, now that's something to worry about. That's something you need to concern yourself. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to live in fear of God. He loves you. But I will tell you that the Bible is replete in telling us about the fear of God. And this man, Cornelius, it is mentioned of this man, he had a fear of God. He feared God with all his house. He passed it on. Our country takes delight in its no fear. It was a phrase that you used to see on the back, especially of, I don't know, pickup trucks or back in back of windows and cars and things. But a few years back, probably before some of you were born, but it would say no fear. How many saw it? Remember that? Okay. Yeah, it has been gone for a while, I guess. But it says no fear. And that's where our country has, has gone. No fear of God. And can we all agree that's not really been a good place for us? It's been a very, very, very bad place for us because now with no fear of God, no faith in God, no belief in God, we now have a country that is just to say run amok is a gigantic understatement. We, at every hand, we, we have just lost the ship. Why? I will tell you in a nutshell, no fear of God. You take, you take away law enforcement, you take the military, you take all, all of those things that protect us, you take all of those things away. And can you imagine, I mean, we're not in a good place right now, but can you imagine the anarchy in our country if you took all that away? Why? Because there's, there's a, certain, a certain respect and fear of law enforcement because we don't want to go to jail. I mean, a lot of you guys would be driving 100 miles an hour everywhere you went if there was no laws, no police to pull you over. Amen? <laughs> and maybe more in some cases. Ain't naming no names. But you understand, you, you, take, a, you take away, why do, we, why do we obey the speed limit? 
because it's going to cost us a lot of money if we don't. Speaking personal testimony. Not, not lately. But you understand, the necessity of a, a fear of God is, is, is the same necessity of fear of a couple hundred bucks if I don't wear my seatbelt. What is it, 150 bucks now for a seatbelt violation? Two things I hate, both of them seatbelts. But for the price it's going to cost me not to wear it, I put it on. Why? I don't want to pay that much money. But what happens now that we dismiss God? And we, we engaged in all the shenanigans of evolution and all the, the downfall from that, all the stuff that's happening that has removed God. And we find ourselves as a nation that literally is a ship without a rudder. It certainly is, and, and our nation is falling away from it. But Christians, it seems to me that not only has the world lost the fear of God, and we're watching the outcome of that, but Christians... Likewise, they're losing their fear of God. I, I, I speak of it with some regularity, but you understand, Christians, we of all people, like this man, the first among us that came to Christ the first time he could, but he had a fear of God. I will tell you that the fear of God is what God got, got God's attention, his giving of alms, but he says, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house and which gave much alms to people and prayed to God always. You understand the combination of things that got the attention? It came before God that who this man was. But you understand, he had a respect for God, which would drive much of what he was doing. And so it's such an important thing for us not to leave behind the, the underlying necessity of the fear of God in our lives and in our, he says, with his household. In Proverbs, familiar passages, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of it. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way. And the froward mouth do I hate. Froward which means contrary. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Luke 1, 50, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Acts 9, 31, then they, the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. Am I trying to make you afraid of God? No, God loves you. But I'm trying to get your attention to though the, the God, the level of respect that we must carry for God that the Bible calls fear. And it's not a shaking in our boots fear. Now, I will tell you this. You say, Pastor, why don't we live in fear? Because as long as you are walking in obedience, you don't live in fear. But I will tell you, if you're going to just as a Christian, if you're just going to throw God to the side and say, God, I'm just going to do my own thing, well, I would suggest maybe you start fearing. It's not a good place to be. It, as, long, as long as you're walking, it, it doesn't mean that trials and tribulations won't come into our lives if we're walking with God. We see the man Job, the poster child of doing everything he could to please the Lord, and yet God tried Job. So you're going to come in trials, I get that. But understand, let, let's don't go into trials because 
because we just have no fear of God because the fear of God will lead us into things where we shouldn't be if we have no concern for God or the fear talk to a man recently and I will tell you just, just in the conversation with him I, could, I will tell you the man had a fear of God and it wasn't that he said it it's just he has fear of God in his life it's a good thing to have in your life folks we're so accustomed to receiving the grace and mercy of God just automatically right we live, we live our lives as Christians, and, and every day God is unloading his benefits upon us, and the great benefits that we receive is God's grace. That, that means he's, he's giving us things that we don't deserve. But the other benefit we get is his mercy. That means he's not giving to us the punishment we deserve. So here we are. We're walking as people, Christians that know Christ, and we're walking in the grace and the mercy of God all the time, and we get so accustomed to the grace and mercy that sometimes we get off path and we start following after things where we shouldn't be. We lose our devotion to God. And what happens? We start walking in a way we shouldn't walk. We start doing things we shouldn't do. And we forsake the fear of God in our lives. I will tell you, don't, don't, don't ever lose the fear of God in your life. He is real. And he is not pleased with those that are walking in a path that doesn't please him. I'll read you a passage of scripture. You can turn to it if you wish. This is chapter 12 of Hebrews. In verse number 5, Hebrews 12, 5. I'll give you a moment to find that. Such an important passage for us to understand the necessity that, that we must know in relationship to the fear of God. 12, 5 of Hebrews says this. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate here and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For verily, for a few days, chastened, uh, for they verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, that being our fathers. But he, that's God, for our prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Back in Acts, understand something. There is a God, and if, if you are his child, you belong to him, you're saved. The Bible says that we are going to experience the chastening hand of God. Now, he compares it to a father who loves you. But if, if, you've, never, if you've never been chastened by God, the Bible says you're not one of his because he chastens him. 
He chastens us. What does he do? He brings us back into line. He, he sees us way outside of bounds, and what's he do? He chastens us, and we're like, whoa, I better get back in shape here. So understand something, that, that, that God is very capable of, of dealing with where you're at. And so when I think of the fear of God, part of the fear of God is, do you understand the chastening hand of God may come? And he says, it's going to come to everybody. Why, all of us at some point. Why? Because he loves us. God does not want you to get so far away that you destroy your life. So he's going to try to bring you back to himself through chastening. It's a loving thing that God brings our way. But how do I live out of the fear of God? What do I do? I obey God. Why? I, you experience the chastening a couple of times. You say, okay, I've had enough of that. I'm going to obey. But ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's don't forget our country has totally walked away from God. I don't know what's coming our way as a nation, but I think all of us understand whatever it is, we have, we have, no, we have no whining to do about it. Our nation has so, so walked away from our God. But I, I want to remind us as believers, it's, it's not about walking every day and just think, oh man, what's God going to do to me today? Is he going to harm me in some way? That's, that's not it. It's, it's, it's the understanding of a father that chastens you in love. Why? He's trying to spare your life, trying to save your life. He's trying to make you the maximum as a loving father would chasten you. Why? Because he wants you not to turn into a rebellious son. He wants you to be an obedient son. Why? Because God can take that obedient son and he can make something great. He can take that obedient Christian and, and use him throughout his life. But if we're constantly in a state of rebellion against God, what happens is God wants to chasten us to bring us back. Why? So he can use us for his honor and glory and we can be used by God. So don't, don't rebel against it. Don't live in fear of it. But, but walk as God would have you walk so that he can use you. But he also tells us he will chasten. The fear of God is a healthy thing for us. Let us, this man, this man without a Bible, knew one thing for sure he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house and gave much alms to people you notice that this is the man that God actually the first Gentile person that God God noticed and, and God went to that man first this is a very special guy for you and I and I want to I want to find out what was so special about this man why God came to this Gentile and started it with him and he did things that we all know to do he was devout, he feared God with all his house, he gave much alms to the people. This was a generous man in the day and age that he lived, and the day and age we live as well. But then a little different than now, obviously, there wasn't governmental supplements and those things of nature, but you had people that were, as we see in the scriptures, people that had great infirmities from birth, perhaps leprosy, perhaps things, and, and they just, they would be beggars on the street. And, and, but this man, this man would, would give. He was generous to these that were in need. Let's be those people as this man was, a generous man to those in need. He gave alms, much alms to the people. And then it says, and prayed to God always. See in the book of Ephesians, and you're going to see it throughout the New Testament, that that is a walk with God. I was talking to one of our men the other day, and just there's, there's a time for prayer to where maybe you, you have your church prayer list and, and, and you take a few minutes to pray for those on the list. But, 
but prayer is much more than just a prayer list and praying for, for whatever time frame you try to in the morning, and certainly I'm encouraging you to do that. But what I would tell you is that it's not just a prayer in the morning. This man walked with God. He wasn't just a morning guy, and that's, and that's what you're doing. I, I, I applaud it. That's, that's wonderful to, to have your devotions in the morning or in the afternoon, whenever you do them. That's, that's a great thing. Don't stop it. But it's not, it's not don't stop there. It, it's a walk with God. It's, it's the awareness of his presence with you all of the time. I mean, can you, can you imagine if you were taking a trip, say you're taking an eight-hour trip in the car, and so you got in the car, and so you looked at your watch, and you talked to your wife for 10 minutes and say, okay, that's it. You didn't say another word to her for the rest of the hour, you know, the whole trip. You never said another word. You'd be thinking, what the wife's thinking, what's that about? You talked to me a few minutes ago, but why? Well, I, well I, I spent my time with you. I gave you 10 minutes. That's pretty good. No, she's going to be thinking, well, well, certainly we can find something to talk about on the trip, right? I mean, we are married. Well, I hope you're saved, right? You know, God is with you. This man understood that God heard him no matter where he was. And so it says of him that he prayed always. He prayed all the time. Get in the habit of not just a one-time prayer with God. Start expanding your horizons. Understand that God is with you all the time. And he's listening. Get in the habit of talking to him throughout the day. Most of my life has been spent alone. And so I'm, I, have, I have the liberty of just, and now I'm in, a, I'm in an office uh, much of my day. But I just have the liberty of just stop. And uh, I like the office because I, I can just go over to my couch and kneel in prayer for a few minutes, then go back to work. And then sometimes I just, I don't know, I just something in the scriptures or whatever, something comes to my heart and I just want to pray again. I just go over and pray for a few minutes. But, and I have that luxury. Not all of you have that. But don't go your whole day without acknowledging God. This is a man that is a, the first Gentile that we see saved. He was a man that prayed all the way, the Bible said. He always prayed. We look to the Old Testament, we see a, a, a great man like Daniel who just, just time out and went and prayed three times a day. It wasn't just a once. But let's don't just be people who pray a perfunctual prayer. Let's be people who pray to God This is a tremendous man. I see him. He's a devout man. Let's be that. He feared God with all his house. He gave much alms to the people. He prayed to God always. I have a couple more points that I won't go to. Ask yourself this morning, where do I fit into this? Am I devout towards my God? Do I have a healthy fear of God in my life, recognizing who he is, and I'm his child, and he loves me, and I want to please him? Let's be those people. Let's be people that give, not grudgingly, but cheerfully to help others. And let's be those folks that pray. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I can talk to God because I'm not a Christian. I have not trusted him as my savior. I, I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I'm unsure of that. The Bible says 
Jesus Christ speaks of this himself, of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The way that you can come to God, the way that you can be know, heard in prayer is to first trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's not a one of us here that are righteous. Not a one of us here that can get through a day probably without a sin. And if we thought that we did, we'd be fooling ourselves, wouldn't we? All of us are sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for there's none righteous, no, not one. It is a gift of God that he offers you. It costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus Christ everything. He died on the cross for your sins, the holy, perfect Son of God. Accept him today. Put yourself in a position where you can talk to God always, where you will know God, and where God can answer your prayers but the first prayer he wants to answer is that prayer of you asking him to save you and to take you to heaven when you die. We call it salvation, trusting Christ as your savior. It is a free gift. We can show you this morning in just a very short time how you can receive that gift and leave this place this morning knowing you're on your way to heaven. Jesus Christ is your savior, a God that you can pray to always. Let's all stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll have our invitation sung in a moment. This is a devoted man, believers. Do you look at yourself and say, Pastor, I'm, I do some of these things, but I don't, wouldn't call myself devoted. Are we generous? Do we have a healthy fear of God? And are we praying? I don't know what area maybe that kind of knocked on your heart's door this morning via the Holy Spirit of God, but the altar will be open. But especially if you don't know Christ this morning, come quickly. I'll meet you right down here. You say, Pastor, I'd be embarrassed. Well, you would be in vain embarrassed because everybody in this room would be delighted to see you. Trust Christ as your Savior. It will make our day. There's no reason to be embarrassed. And if you were a bit embarrassed, it would be worth it to go to heaven, would it not? If somebody offered me $1,000 to walk this altar, I'd be embarrassed to get it. I'd come down and get it, though. That's nothing. Salvation is everything. It's eternal life in heaven. If it suffers a little, what you feel like is embarrassing, which is really not, come, come anyway. Come trust Christ.